Hello, and welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host this week, Matt Muscardi, filling in for Mike DeCebedo while he is otherwise indisposed. Um, Mike managed to make time to talk us through our two stories this week alongside Megan Eastman and Olga Emilianova. And for those two stories, we've got one big one and one little one. The big one, Raytheon and United Technologies announced a possible merger. Uh, a lot of Wall Street analysts love this, even if Bill Ackman hates it. Uh, at least initially, they loved it. So uh, we're going to cover that. Our second story, a little amuse-bouche about a massive trend in agriculture as Ocado, an online retailer in the UK with a focus on distribution technologies, announced a majority stake purchase in Europe's largest vertical farm. So without further ado, let's get at it. So before we get into the discussion of Raytheon and UTC, let's set some context. Uh, the proposed merger would make a combined company that would make it the third largest in the aerospace industry next to Boeing and Airbus. It's set to be an all-stock transaction with UTC shareholders getting about 57% of the combined entity. And our stack card from an ESG perspective, both companies have ESG ratings of A, and many of the industry players have controlling or principal shareholders, including UTC. Corruption ranks as one of the biggest concerns across aerospace and defense, given uh, heavy reliance on government contracting. Raytheon gets about 80% of its revenues from governments, so we're watching corruption risk carefully there. And UTC gets about 10%. It's also worth noting that Around 86% of aerospace companies launched some form of clean tech initiatives uh, as of 2018, something we watch for in R&D spending. And UTC is actually one of the industry leaders in R&D. So with that scorecard out of the way, let's jump right in. The government contracting really exposes companies in this industry to the possibility of corruption. I ran the data on that a couple of years ago for a presentation at a conference, and it, it was like within the same industry, companies that had a lot of government contracts had like twice as many controversies. And so I was thinking that the UTC was less exposed, um, and I haven't been involved in significant controversies. I looked that up. But Raytheon looks like it's got pretty good management systems, you know, training and audits and policies and all of that. Uh, but I was thinking about our conversation last week around the corruption scandals in China and kind of coming back to that question of how much can you actually manage and do those strong management systems kind of re reduce the likelihood that you'll get into trouble even if they can't eliminate it? I, but I, I don't think this merger will live or die by the corruption question, it's more likely to live or die by the whether or not these company, I mean, th you're talking about effectively in the last like three or four years, um, mergers between UTC, Goodrich, BE Aerospace, Rockwell Collins, now Raytheon, and uh, simultaneously UTC shuttle, shuffling off two other entities. There is so... The whole industry is restructuring. Uh, it's, it's, it, there's so many moving parts that I actually think there's a bigger... The bigger um, issue, at least in the short term, because I think the corruption unfolds over a long period, yeah, is... I, I'd agree with that. Can you even manage the people? 
Like these are, yeah, there, there are question. quotes, there are quotes about, um, that I was reading so much uncertainty for the workforce, the workforce uncertainty is massive. And, and simultaneously you actually have, um, I, I saw a quote from the president of UTC, Greg Hayes, who, who was speaking basically directly to the president of the United States saying, um, you know, Donald Trump and the administration, quote, understand the benefits of this merger in terms of what it's going to do to reduce costs to the government, which if you're a employee, kind of means laying people off, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Doesn't it usually, doesn't it usually well, mean he like, said on his, here's some he said synergies, on his here's, here's some overlapping. You know, we do a lot of aerospace over here. Raytheon's got a lot of aerospace over there. We don't need as many employees. We can reduce costs. We can add in these other business lines. We're more diversified. And at the same time, these, this whole industry, it's already really technical and it's getting more technical by the day. And so there's this tight competition for the talent, right? So if on the one hand, you need people who can do the next generation of technological stuff in your product. On the other hand, you're laying people off. That does seem like it would create kind of a real, uh, potentially a real quagmire in terms of managing human resources. And what's funny about it is you can, even just looking through like the purview of something as simple as debt, where I read that UTC has something like 25 billion in debt and Raytheon has basically zero. Like the management teams view something that basic totally differently. Right. If they think about debt, and finance differently. Do they also think about other things differently? Exactly. I mean, undoubtedly, right? Exactly. Yeah. To me, it's kind of interesting to look into, um, you know, w what it would mean for well, technology development. Like, I would be curious to look into the R and Ds of the companies and see, you know, w what would this acquisition, this merger, would mean in terms of the uh, uh, technology development potential. The, the short version of the R and D question. UTC United is a big R and D spender. They're actually on an absolute basis third in the aerospace or aerospace and defense sector, next to Boeing and Airbus. Um, but Raytheon Raytheon's R and D to sales is two point eight percent, and um, uh, and United is around. I'm, five-ish percent four and a half percent so united is much more committed to an r&d spend but if the combined company ends up with like 40 or 50 percent of their contracts coming from the u.s and other governments then does it become does it does utc stop being like focused on innovation or R&D or, you know, diversified technologies and start having to focus a lot more on managing its largest single revenue stakeholder in governments. So who, who wins in this situation? You mean in who wins in terms of the taxpayer or who wins in terms of the shareholder? Yeah. What stakeholders, which stakeholders would benefit from this? And I think I, I like Matt's question about, you know, who's really going to drive this thing? Okay, it's supposed to be a merger of equals, but usually somebody ends up kind of dominant, some kind of culture, some kind of outlook ends up kind of dominant. And so, you know, from an ESG perspective, anytime there's a big merger, there's a lot of uncertainty for investors about how that's going to actually play out. Are they going to find the synergies they thought they would? Is the cultural difference going to get in the way or is it going to mesh? And some of those issues are ESG issues. So there's the, the question about corruption. There's the question about 
you know, human resources and talent and whether they can manage that. And I think what Olga raised is there's a question around technology development, including clean technologies, and how is that going to play out and is something going to be lost? And at this point, we don't have the answer to any of those questions. So let's set some context for our next story again. Ocado, an online retailer, stepping into vertical farming, uh, buying Jones Food Company, uh, the largest vertical farm in in Europe and and the UK. Um, From an ESG perspective, uh, Ocado rates A. Um, Throughout the industry, we actually point out that uh, most of the companies are founder firms, and Ocado's no different in this respect. Uh, One of the biggest issues we're paying attention to, uh, given that they're in consumer discretionary, is actually data security. Maybe less of an issue for Ocado on its face, but they are an online retailer, and now they're stepping into food. We did point out that product safety, uh, particularly around food certifications, was a problem, potential problem for Ocado. So with that uh, leveled out, let's get to the roundtable. Hydroponics are way more efficient than traditional farming. They don't use any soil. Everything is contained within a a closed-loop system, so you're not going to have any runoff. You're not going to have any use of pesticides to deal with soil erosion. Everything's done with water. It's easy harvest. Recycling is done at a higher scale usually. Holland does this in mass. They have only greenhouses for their farming because it's a very small area and they have to grow a lot of food. So is, is, the, is the thread now for food products, for retailers and healthy foods, that technology is a way to make this more sustainable? Let's remove farmers. Let's remove any kind of labor that's away from robots. So your point is that, is that a safety angle? Is that a labor angle or both? I think it's everything. I think it's a safety angle. I think it's a mm-hmm. labor angle. And I think it's also environmental. Yeah, so I think from the sustainability point of view, you, you're right, Mike. It's definitely much more sustainable in the sense of the resource consumption. Um, safety, product safety, um, I would not be concerned that much about that. It's actually probably more on the positive side, even if humans are not handling those produce, but robots do. Yeah, m- most of the E. coli contamination, for example, comes from irrigation. That That's how it spreads, mm-hmm. right? Uh, pesticide um, contamination is the common cause of product recalls. So since none of that really is an issue in vertical farms, it eliminates a lot of the product safety concerns. They're also doing it much closer to where they operate, which I thought was an interesting angle. So you reduce food miles that way, and it gives them much closer oversight of the production of the food, or at least the potential for that, right? Then if it's being grown somewhere in a climate where you can actually grow herbs year-round. Right. I'll be curious to know whether or not it's going to be sustainable from the price perspective and how much it would cost them. Because from my, from my point of view, you know, having uh, basil and lettuce that costs twenty dollars uh, a punch, you know, <laughs> that that might not be something that consumers want. But then, how do you reduce? Oh, I'm wondering the cost? if there's a, a a benefit to growing under such controlled circumstances if you have less risk of crop loss and thus more um, more predictable revenues for the farmers. Well, you have less crop loss and you have less resources used to assure 
that there is no crop loss. What I mean is there's no pesticides that need to be used. Mm -hmm. There's no herbicides that need to be used. And then it's a closed loop water and they also aren't touched by humans. So there's no possibility of transference of disease. And there is, um, there's like a closed loop system of air where they ensure no bugs can get in, but it's, you know, agriculture is responsible for 70% of global water withdrawal, 90% of water consumption, 28% of all croplands are facing extremely high water stress. The availability of uh, food right next door where you don't have to worry about drought, where you don't have to worry about soil. But you cannot, is. you know, feed the population with lettuce, right? Like there should be something <laughs> else, right? So I think it's it's an interesting development. I think it's at the very nascent stages right now. It's Although, the takeaway for investors is that this is this is nascent, but this experiment by Ocado is an interesting development to watch because this might be part of the solution, even oh, if it can't ever absolutely. be the scale to be the total solution. Absolutely. Yeah, Google is on it, right? Google is investing in uh, the Google Ventures, ninety million in Bowery farming, vertical farms. Amazon, Bezos, is investing not directly but through the uh, uh, DCM Ventures and SoftBank uh, into the Plenty. Plenty is probably the largest vertical farm in the world right now. So it's definitely happening. IKEA, Dubai, Sheikh, they're all looking into... Yes, IKEA is teaming up with uh, the Sheikh of Dubai to to develop some of the uh, sustainable farming. Yes, indoor farming, which makes sense in Dubai, right? Like the water scarcity, the, the lack of land... So so you, you can see where it's really applicable and makes absolute sense. So I, I'm I'm pretty sure that there is there are lags to this development. It it will see the future, but it is still in the early stages and figuring out how to run this business, how to make it cost efficient and uh, uh whether or not it's gonna be the future of farming, uh, not this year, not likely. <laughs> but but let, let's see. And that's our weekly pod on ESG Now. I'm Matt Muscardi, your fill-in host. Thanks to Megan, Mike, and Olga for delivering the hard-hitting narratives this week. If you like what you heard, reach out, subscribe, rate us. If you hated every second of it and listened anyway, reach out, subscribe, rate us. We will listen either way. And tune in next week when Mike reemerges from his cocoon to bring you another weekly edition. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is 
and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.